0: When we look at the way in which we're living our lives, are our hearts and souls engaged? No, seriously, are are we going through the motions, checking off the boxes, but forgetting to tune into whether those activities and actions actually stir something inside of us? Think about a typical day. Is there a sense of joy, a passion, a deeper level of engagement to our real life field of play? Does the music on our commute speak to us? Our choice of fitness activities bring a smile? Our professional pursuits reveal who we were truly meant to be, do our evenings provide the refreshing spring after a day of productive contributions to the world, or are we in a fog, stumbling our way through the day as we count down the hours until the next weekend? Welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst 360 Podcast, your 360-degree source for the best in health, wellness, and performance. I'm your host, Dr. Brad Cooper of the Catalyst Coaching Institute, and today's guest is Vitaly Katzenelson. He's the author of Soul in the Game, The Art of a Meaningful Life. That's a big claim. We're going to dig into the realities of bringing that to life today. The next MBHWC approved coach certification cohort gets started in less than two weeks. If you're ready to roll and if we have any spots remaining, we'd love to have you join us. Or with the next group starting in April, you can always get registered now, get started on some of the on-demand components, and then move your way through it and be ready to wrap things up in April if you'd like. Regardless, you probably have some questions. How does this fit in my current or future career? How does it make a difference in my life or what I'm doing as a clinician? If you have those questions, let's talk about it. Email us results at institute.com. Results at institute.com. And if you're an employer looking to bring best-in-class coaching to your organization, the Catalyst Coaching 360 team provides guaranteed results, and it's customized your needs and goals. It's not some generic thing you just plug in and hope for the best. Again, results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. We'll get a call set up to discuss details. Now it's time to shift out of survival mode and learn how to get our soul in the game with Vitaly Nelson on the latest episode of the Catalyst 360 Podcast. All right. Well, welcome to the Cattle's 360 podcast. I love this topic. So we're going to have some fun digging into it
1: today. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Brad.
0: Now let's jump into your book right away. Soul of the Game, page 27. You asked the question that our listeners, they tuned in to hear this. So let's just say out of the gate, what do you mean soul in the game?
1: Well, well, let's define soul. Let's, Let's define game. Sounds good. So when I was writing the book, I was thinking about your profession. Your occupation, something on which you spend a lot of time. But then I realized it doesn't have to be limited just to that. It could be an activity that is meaningful to you. But then there is another category, which is something that has a significant impact on others. So number one, your occupation. Number two, something that's meaningful to you. Okay, so so those would be what qualify for game. Okay, what does it mean? So like, I'll give you a couple of examples. For me, it's my occupation as a investor, as a writer. I'll give you a few examples. Let's start with my profession. So I run an investment firm, and I manage other people's money. So in in like in my investment universe, it's very common for Wall Street to sell you products that they would be happy to sell you, but they would never. They're not your best choice, right? Right. Yes. Yes. So personally, from you know, so what I do, all of my liquid net worth is managed by my firm. So when we buy a stock for my clients, you're buying it for YouTube. Yeah, I like that. You mentioned that in your book. I love that strategy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, that would be. It would also apply for when you when you're a cook and you're cooking food for others in restaurants, you also eat that food. So what what I'm describing right now, what I'm describing right now is this absolute minimum, which is basically having a skin in the game right now. This is where I'm right now. What it means having skin in the game, and this is a uh, concept obviously created by Nassim Taleb, is that when I do something, I don't just enjoy the upside, but I also suffer the downside of my decisions. Okay. 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 So that's, that's skin, skin in the game. game. And that's then the you're game.
0: saying soul in the game is next level stuff.
1: It's the next elevation of that. Yes. This is where huh. my actions are, my my identity. My, my identity is completely tied to what I'm doing, where every ounce of my soul is embedded into it.
0: I'm guessing people are listening and they're like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That works for you too, because you guys are entrepreneurs. You run your business. You you can pick something. You can dive into the things that do create that internal energy. But what about the person who's just getting by? You know, the single mom working two jobs, support her kids, or the guy who's in some sort of a a more of a menial labor job, and the income's much less than the bills every month. How does this apply to that person? Because that's that's a lot of our listeners, folks that are looking to move their life to a different level and they're hearing soul in the game and they're just rolling their eyes going, yeah, whatever.
1: I think you would have to make difficult choices and you would have to, there is, there is no easy answer for this, right? Because you would have to make a painful choice. If you're doing something where you're doing it just because you're receiving a paycheck, then you have to make a difficult choice and look for a different career. Look, because the way I look at it is that you only have one life, if you, sp- once we, sp- we basically spend one third of our life going to sure, work. Sure,
0: sure. A- absolutely. And, and I, I get that and I hear you, but there's a difference between me saying to you, you know what, you just need to look for something new that sparks that interest and me saying it to the person who's like, dude, I, I got bills to pay. I, I can't go off looking for another job. I'm, if I do that, my kids go without lunch. Or if I do that... I can't pay my mortgage. I've got to keep this job. I don't have an option. What do you say to that person who says, I want the soul in the game, but I, I don't know how to make the transition?
1: Okay. So I'll give you two answers. Okay. So number one, I have I have this friend, very good friend who has a bachelor's degree, in, 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 with a bachelor master's degree in electrical engineering. Okay. And when he was 35, he discovered that he wants to become a dentist. Okay. So he went from, he basically approved his family from Colorado, they moved to California, and he went to dental school for three years when he was 35 years old. So this is a person who realized he was, you know, he did not have soul in the game while being an engineer. And he, you know, and today he's a, this is almost more than 13 years later, he's a very happy dentist. So that's, that's number one. That's a, so it is possible, you know, people do this all the time. It's not easy. The other answer would be, is to whatever you're doing, try to find like reframe it, and this is kind of using a stoic approach to it. Try to find soul in the game in what you're doing. Ah, okay, okay, okay. That's 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 that is a lot more difficult. Well, actually, no. it, it might know. be easier. Yeah, it might be easier. Yeah, that, that's right. That, but that's that requires for you to find meaning in what you're doing. Find, And I am not sure, to be honest, I'm not sure I'm the even the best person to tell you how to do this because I never done this myself. I, I, I always like when I was it. young, when my 20s, I kind of chose my career and I got very, very lucky so, um, so I'm not even sure I'm the best person to give sure, advice sure. here, because I have zero experience with that. But I, I, I suppose it is possible to look in your job and find an opportunity for growth, find a meaning in this.
0: I love the idea of you've got two choices: you can change the situation, or you can change the perspective.
1: No, I think I think that's right, and um, you can change your, your perception of the job. You
0: mentioned something I had never heard before, but I I love the concept—the Jeffersonian lunch concept. I'm sure we have some listeners like, "What? That's really cool." So, talk us through that story. Tell us about where that came about, and how does somebody instigate that into their either their work or their personal meetings?
1: So, you know, a lot of times you go you go to dinner with uh, like you know, with half a dozen people, a dozen people. And you're sitting at the same table and everybody has a side conversation, right? And what usually happens is because everybody's talking, you try to kind of uh, talk over each other. And you're kind of in the same room as other people, but really you're talking to the person to your left or to your right. right. Or even worse, person who is sitting across from you, and then it's like you're com- completely yelling over totally. the table. yeah. Yeah. So the idea of Jeffersonian lunch is basically, it's a you have these people at the same table and there is a, a lot of different perspectives right there. And you can have, instead of you having a uh, multiple canals to have half a dozen conversations, you have one conversation. And so, so the way it works, you sit at the table, you, there is a, a moderator who like the first thing you do, you kind of go, if, if this is people who haven't met before you go for one minute around the table and everybody introduces themselves, just tells them a little bit about themselves. Okay. And maybe you can, you can even try to ask him a question. Like what's the most important thing that happened to you over the last six months. Okay, So a person could tell about themselves and say, "In the last six months, the, mo- the most important thing I did, I went to Hawaii or whatever, or I changed my job or my parent died, whatever. And so, so everybody goes around the table and does that. And and as a matter of way, you try to listen for the kind of a conversational prompts. So that becomes a type of conversation. And you go around the table, and now you have one conversation. People ask this person questions, or they go around the table and they start doing their share, like something that's important that happened to them and I kind of and you then drop it. And the whole idea is this only one conversation around the table and only one person is talking. So sometimes we say, what was the most, what was the most interesting book you read over last year? And we go around the table and we talk about this. Just literally people share ideas and some people ask questions. So what's, what's, well, what podcast do you listen to? I think one benefit of this is that it completely eliminates the kind of the empty small talk you have, especially yeah. when you are, when you are at the table with a whole bunch of strangers.
0: Yeah, I, I just love that. I mean, it, it, it seems like you, you would come out of that lunch with so much more value and more of a connection. And like you said, it's not just person you're left or right. It's a new peer group potentially. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. you You talk about, you, you have a whole section on what you call small life tweaks. I also love this because that's what people are looking for. Like it's practical stuff. It's not like, oh, and you should move to this island in the Caribbean. And people are like, what? Nobody's doing that. What would be a couple of those that might surprise our listeners? As you think about that list, what would be a couple where, yeah, as you've been out talking about the book and people have been giving you feedback, you're hearing that was a surprise. Didn't expect to see that one. Or that, that one had a huge impact.
1: I think the 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 ones that people liked a lot was the I don't need desserts or oh, and the or oh, the eight percent diet. So um they kind of go together a little bit. And this concept is not mine. It's actually I borrowed it from from uh, James Clear who borrowed it from somebody sure, else. Sure. Yeah, yeah yeah
0: and we had BJ but, Fog on who probably oh, no, talked yeah, a lot yeah. about similar concepts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But the concept is basically this if you're trying to achieve something, there are three ways to get there. You can set goals, you can create systems, or that could become your identity. When you set goals, what you do, you basically kind of create a direction of where you're going. When you create systems, and actually, I heard this. This is actually the phrase that actually comes from, from US Navy. You, you, you fail to, the, or you fall, or you fail to the level of your systems. Uh, and we'll talk about systems in a second, systems in a second. And then you have the last one is kind of your identity. And your identity is basically, this is who I am. Let, let's unwrap each one of them. Well, for, let's, so, let, let, so the, let's talk about your, uh, your goals first. Everybody has a goal, right? Like every Olympic, every athlete that goes to Olympics has a goal to win a gold medal. It means absolutely nothing. I mean, except you're sure, sure. training towards something. Okay, now how you train, that's your systems. The easiest way to create systems is that, or create a habit. Is basically link link it to something you do every day. Yep, perfect. Okay, so I I'll give you one example. This is not in the book. I, oh,
0: we're getting a bonus here, folks.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. So <laughs> I, I wanted to get rid of. Uh, so I found that I drink too much coffee. Okay. Okay. So I wanted to drink less coffee. So what I what I did for every morning when I drink coffee, for every cup of coffee, I do thirty push ups. For a long time, I would meditate when I walk in the park. And I walk in the park after I write in the morning. Got it. So, so it's so automated. Yes. Yeah, so that, yes. The word automated here is it can become very important. So that, that's your systems. That's your systems. Identities, this is who you are. A person with a certain identity behaves in a certain way. If somebody offers you cigarettes, you say, sorry, I'm trying to quit smoking. There's a difference between that and the person who says, sorry, I don't smoke, right? That's a huge difference. I'll give you I'll give you a couple more examples. I have this friend who is a Orthodox rabbi. You know, if you listen to know, like Orthodox Jews, they don't eat pork. So I was talking to this friend and he was telling me, Vitaly, you know what? I eat too much bread. He's like, this is like, again, 30 pounds and this is just horrible. I just ate too much bread. I said, just become a person who does not eat bread. He's like, like, how can I do this? Like, like I can't just become a person who doesn't eat bread. I said, well, let me ask you a question. If I offered you a little bit of pork, would you eat this? He's like, no, I am a person who doesn't eat pork. I'm an Orthodox Jew. He's like, mom, like, just... You just said it. Yeah. You just, exactly. Yeah. So just become a person who doesn't eat pork. I mean, doesn't eat bread. So that what you do by, by doing this, you just create an identity. Okay. And therefore, once it's an identity, it's actually... Becomes a non-decision decision. What exactly. I call half binary. I call them half binary because you don't even have to think. So just imagine this. Like, like my friend. He, it's not like he eats bacon sometimes. No, he just never eats bacon. So therefore, when you offer him bacon, he doesn't have to think about it. Yep. Just like for you and I, if you offer us some cocaine, like you're like, I don't do cocaine. So like, it's it's a it's, it consumes zero. There's no energy. metal energy. Yep. None. So the the way I use it in my life is that I am a person who does not eat sugar, or so I eat, I just frame it as dessert. So I don't eat cakes, ice cream, candy, etc. So I whenever whenever the, you put a cake next to me, it's like they're going to consume it. They're going to consume zero energy for me. Right. Just the same way if you put a. Kilo of cocaine, okay. Same, it's gonna consume as much energy as that. So therefore, it's in if if it's a non decision decision, it consumes no energy. You know, when I'm when it was late at night and there's cake or there's ice cream, since non decision decision, I don't you know I just I I just don't eat ice cream. I don't eat cake. I don't dessert. So that's because that's part of my identity. Now I remember I was at the party like uh, somewhere, and I was talking to a friend of mine. And the, the waiter come, uh, came in and offered cake. I says, "And I said, sorry, I don't eat dessert. So no, thank you." My friend said, "What a sorry way to go through life, you know." <laughs> and like, and this stuck with me for a long, long time. And I, would, then I was traveling to Europe, and I found that actually it's actually gets much complicated with me because when I'm in Denmark, I also don't eat red meat, and I, and I don't eat bread. But when you, when you travel in Europe, it actually becomes very difficult to, especially in France, like not to eat bread. And then I realized, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna geofence my diet. I am when I'm in Denver, I'm not gonna eat bread, steak, a dessert. When I'm outside of Denver, which is when I travel, which is about eight percent of the time, it's about a month a year. I'm gonna eat anything I want. Okay. And I when I started this, I was somewhat concerned that I'm gonna have a hard time kind of separating. You know, this, you know, like when I go to Houston or when I go to Paris and when I come back to Denver and then I found it, I'm absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. So what I'm, but here's the interesting part. So when I'm traveling and I eat steak or eat ice cream or eat bread, I enjoy it so much more than when I eat this and that, you know, uh, that if I eat it all the time. Which brings me to a very important concept. I'm working on an essay right now, as we speak. Like well, not as we speak, but this morning. <laughs> um,
0: He's doing two things at once. Everybody, that's
1: right. That's right. Yes, <laughs> I'm working on this essay where I talk about the value of scarcity. This is not in the book. This is so. Uh, this is brand new stuff. So, so I when I grew up, I was exposed to a lot of scarcity. I grew up in Soviet Russia, and uh, scarcity was a uh, uh, scarcity was uh, everywhere there. I my parents my parents had to stay in line to buy chicken or to buy sugar. You know, my my mom always had to worry about how she's gonna feed us or what I'm gonna wear in the wintertime. So that was scarcity. So we kind of perceive the scarcity is a bad thing, and I would argue that a lot of scarcity my parents went through was horrible. Sure. Now, but when I moved to the United States, I discovered abundance. Okay, we have a in, you know we. If you want the ice cream, you go to the store. You can get ice cream in fifty different flavors. And by the way, where in Russia I used to eat ice cream, like you would buy it at the, like in the street, right? Here you can go, you can go and buy five pounds of ice cream, and you can eat it five times a day if you want to. The problem is when there is an abundance has its dark side, too. We don't think about it, but the couple of things. Number one, if you think about uh, the abundance of food led us to become overweight. We waste one third of the food we produce. Okay, that's one side. But there is also another side, which which we don't talk about. It makes us appreciate things a lot less. Okay, if you eat ice cream every day, I promise you, you don't appreciate it as much if you eat it once a month. So, I find that for us to appreciate things, so it's and by the way. Genetically, we are programmed to do with scarcity. How do uh, how, you, know, because think about it, when we lived in a cave, you know, we ate every every. You know, we ate whenever we killed something, right? right? right. So in, the betwe- in between, you know, kind of we stored, you know, we stored this, you know, when we ate, you know, it got stored as a fat. And then, you know, when we were hungry, we kind of used up our fat. Now, I don't think we had to use a, ab- you know, we had faced abundance as human beings. Until maybe the last 70 years right. since World War II. Right. Now, I argue, I would argue that we need to create artificial scarcity in our life. To actually, to enjoy life more, to appreciate it more. I'll give you a couple of examples. When I drive uh, my kids to school, uh, once a month, we get donuts. We don't get them every day, once a week, but again, once a month. And my kids know that we only do it once a month. And therefore, when it's a first, when the month changes, they're like, that. this is the time to get donuts. <laughs> okay, but I know, but I tell you this, because we get it only once a month, they appreciate them so much more. Because I eat desserts only when I travel, I appreciate the desserts so much more. And I think we need to you know, kind of, um, today, you and I talking on Thursday, like, you know, like, a, like a few weeks ago, I started this new thing. I fast on Thursdays. There is absolutely no reasons for that other than the fact that, I first of all, it's healthy for you. But but there is another, but there are there are the benefits. You know, but it also makes me appreciate food so much more. Okay, so we have to create this, embed this artificial scarcity in our life to appreciate just to appreciate things more, to deal with abundance. So,
0: well, just the the idea of do hard things. We had Steve Magnus on, the author of that book, and that's really what you're describing: is when you occasionally. Do hard things like fasting on Thursday, it prepares your body for the other six days to be more effective with the normal level of whatever it might be. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Let me unpack a couple of things before you go on, because I, I think you've hit so many valuable things here. First, just a reminder for everybody that's debating with him in your head about the abundance and scarcity, just consider your toothpaste. When you have a full tube of toothpaste. You're not that particular about how much you put on your toothbrush. But when you're down those last little bits, you're like, oh, man, I got to just eke out a little bit. I'm just going to save ne- a little bit for next time. So your toothpaste is is proof of, of what he's talking about. The other word I want to plot here is the – did you say geofencing? Yeah, geofencing. Yeah. I like that term. I And then so the concept there is the goals are based on geography. We do this when we're in Europe. We do this when we're in Denver. We do this once a month with – the kids in the car, that kind of stuff. And then the last thing I, I can't tell you how much I was nodding my head. You probably saw me with this, who you are, the identity piece. We, mm-hmm. talk, we, we just had an episode about creating a personal vision for your life. And the point of that is when that is crystal clear, the goals pretty much achieve themselves. Like you, yeah. you don't have to, it's what you're talking about. You don't have to think, you don't have to invest that mental energy in achieving the weight loss, the exercise. What I'm not exercising. I'm being me. I'm not going for a walk. I'm being me. I'm not eating healthy, whatever your definition is. I'm just being me. So great points there. There was something I think I jumped in on as you were kind of going into it. You want to jump back into that one? I just want to clarify those three because those are no, huge no, points.
1: No, 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 I think, no, I think that's great. And I think the, yeah the, as a parent you want to make sure when it comes to money you kind of embed this you know, concept of scarcity in your life but i was thinking about you know so that's so like my kids uh, whenever they get allowance it's always less than they need the the the, the thing they need just so they start saving hmm. um but also the the issue that i kind of discovered like you that i observed with myself is that because amazon is one click away yes with Amazon Prime, you can buy things, you know, uh, just like that. Which yep. is, you know, and, and you know, if you want, you put a kind of environmental hat on. You say, well, probably not good for the environment, you know, either. So, so maybe one thing you can do is, maybe, you know, just have a like uh, it's, you create a delivery day, like on Wednesdays. So I think Amazon allows you to do this. So whatever I'm gonna buy, I'm not gonna get it until Wednesday. If it's a Thursday, it means I have to wait six days. Or if it's Tuesday, I'll get it tomorrow. But that's there are certain things you can you can do, or maybe don't shop on Amazon. Yeah. You know, but make it, make things a little bit more difficult for yourself. You know, the the concept of scarcity that we need to induce it and artificially create it. I think that's very very important.
0: I can't let you get out of here without talking money. I mean, that's what you sure. do. That's your focus. So let's let's create an imaginary. Set of five-minute meetings. So you have five-minute meetings with four different people. Let's assume they're in the middle of the bell curve. So these are not your wealthy. These are not your just getting by. They're kind of your typical client in each of these. And we're going to do age groups. So someone in their mid-20s, someone who's 40, someone who's 55, and someone who's 70. If you had five minutes to share a primary message with each of those people different, so mid-20s, mid-life, 40, 55, kind of seen in the tail end, and then 70, mm-hmm. well into retirement. What, what would you say? What would be your advice for those four distinct phases of life for the person there in the middle of the bell curve? And take your time. I, I'm putting you on yeah, the spot here. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's interesting. So for somebody in their 20s, I'm not just right now, I'm just not talking about investing. I'm just talking about personal finance. Perfect. Um, I would I would probably tell them about budgeting. Okay. I think that's probably one of the most important things they can do because they are early in their career. So the incomes are probably not very high yet. And therefore they need to prioritize their spending a lot more. And, it, you know, and, uh, so I, I would kind of, I would advise them on the versus of budgeting. And there I would also advise them on making sure when they budget, like, or what is a budget? This is like an income statement, basically, right? You have your income, you have your expenses. Now, make sure when you identify your expenses, you look at the expenses that are not just your cable bill and your mortgage and your utilities, whatever, but also your retirement, saving for retirement. Also that every so many years you have to replace your car. Um, so you basically trying to do, you identify expenses that happen, don't happen every month, but happen mm. on a semi ago basis mm. and that, you budget for them as well. Only after you account for all those things, that's the money you have left to pay f- to spend on things that are optional. you would consider to be less important to you. Yeah. But also be my. So here's the thing, and that's would be advised you know, for in any age group. Money buys the most when it bu- when it buys things you value. Sure. Again, money buys the most when it buys things you value. So therefore. If if every day you go into Starbucks because you yeah, and buy coffee because you've been do going to Starbucks and buying coffee, and you're doing it mindlessly and you get really no enjoyment out of this, it's just something you've done. You're probably spending thousand dollars a year, wasting it. You know, now if you're going to Chipotle twice a week and you're buying the Chipotle burrito, and you're really enjoying every bite, that actually that money buys you a lot more. You know, yeah, you know, that money spent more valuable. So. So when you spend, when one thing I would do, I would look at your spending and identify things where you spend money and ask yourself, how important is that to me? Okay. Okay. If you find like for us, for my family, like, you know, and uh, so right now, I'm speaking from our experience, my wife and I identified that for us travel was a lot more important than going out. So we went out a lot less and we, you know, we traveled more. So the money we saved on not going out went on out to our travel budget.
0: So you're almost saying, okay, you, you've you got your non-negotiables on your budget. You got your rent, you got your car payment yep. or gas or whatever it might be. And then you got your other stuff and you're almost saying with your other stuff, don't just put the dollar figure next to it, put a one to 10 next to it. And if it ain't a seven, get rid of that dug on thing. Cause if you're not creating a seven with your optional purchases, what are
1: you doing? The, the, you're absolutely right. But, but but there's one more point. You said it's non-negotiables. I would also question what's non-negotiable because the house you live in, it could be half a million dollar house, it could be three hundred thousand dollar house. Excellent. I assume mean, so right. so you can
0: overpurchase. It's,
1: it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the same applies to the car. Nice. You can be buying a used car, you can buy a new car. Yeah. Same thing. So it's a I would always so it's, I would kind of push to question your assumptions. What is non negotiable? Like, what are those non-negotiables? You can be, you know, you know. So I would look at every expense and kind of question it and ask: Is that non-negotiable or not?
0: That that's a great callback. Thank you for calling me on the car part on that. We had Rachel Cruz from from Dave Ramsey's organization on, and that's what she was talking about. She, you don't need the new car. You don't. Why do you have a car payment? You can buy a cheaper car have it in cash and start saving to those other things. So the excellent job on the, the calling me on the carpet on the non-negotiables.
1: Um, actually, let me, I'm going to push back on this one now. So it's a,
0: this is my favorite part.
1: It, <laughs> okay. Okay. No. So the, here's what I find. Here's what I found is that I used to belong to the, to the group of people who would say, don't buy new cars, buy used cars. And then I realized that we are all unique and we all have different values We value things differently. Some things matter to us more than others. So I have this friend who is a person I actually admire. And he lives in, uh, he's divorced and he lives in an apartment, like in a small apartment. Actually, I think he may have a roommate actually. And he doesn't make a lot of money, but he doesn't go out. He, three or four times a month, he travels to different parts of the United States. And he usually stays in cheap hotels when he does this, at the same time, he loves driving cars. He really enjoys this. So for him, a car gives him a pleasure. So every three years, he leases a car and every three years he gets he, he gets a new car. Who am I to tell him to buy a used car? Do you see what I mean? So it's a, for him, that's important, right? But here's the key. This is very, very important. It's a mindful decision. Yes. And I think that's the key if he's buying a new car every three years or at a new car, and it's a mindful decision on his part for this, he has to like, no matter how much money you make, unless you bill Gates, you can always spend more. And so therefore actually going, you know, kind of,
0: well, that's your numbers you, thing again. You, You basically, I love how you laid that out because you're saying he's sacrificing nicer housing because he loves the car. So with his, with his apartment situation, he said, you know what? I don't really care. That's a three. I'll just take the minimum I can get. I'll have a roommate, but the car, that's a nine. I really want to make sure. So yes, absolutely. Great point on those optional items. What's your ranking act accordingly.
1: Exactly. So it's a kind of, so it's a kind of, it's a, in our society, we kind of assume that, you know, we would tell people don't, you you know, don't buy a new car, buy a used car. And I realized, well, if, or at least, if you if you buy a new car, it has to be a mindful decision. So you understand you are making decision. And if you buy a used car, you could save money.
0: But well, and in we, your description, you 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 laid it out. You said, "Look, you've got to budget for these things first before we even yes. get into the car yeah. travel conversation." And one of the things you mentioned was retirement. So yes. I. I'm getting the sense from you that if the person said, well, I really love new cars, but they're not saving for retirement, but they're not putting any money aside for that broken refrigerator. You'd be like, well, then you're an idiot. Like, stop. I, I know you like cars, but you're not covering the basics. Cover the basics, figure that out. Absolutely. And then if a car is at the top, let's buy the new car.
1: I, I think that's, that's absolutely right. Yes, perfect.
0: Yeah. Okay, so that's our twenty-five-year-old, forty-year-old, or the fifty-five. I don't know if those would be different. similar. They're, they're definitely different places in life.
1: So I like I'm speaking now from my experience because I used to be twenty-five-year-old. I haven't been a 60 year old yet, so I can <laughs> speak as somebody in my forties. So what I started to do again, I'm is My it's a now I'm approaching it as kind of how what I did. Okay. you know, as I got older and my income went up, first of all, go, like going through the exercise we just talked about has actually created like you know um, created good habits, okay, number one. But then, you know, we, my wife and I stopped. We, so we used to have this very tight budget. Now we don't, but now we have categories, and in some categories, our spending is very loose, in some, some categories, it's very strict. So let me give you a few examples. My wife and I, we value experiences. Experience is important to us. So vacations, travel, vacation, you know, doing things with kids, very important. Very important. So we don't look how much money we spend on that. Again, this is is the reason. I find as I get older, I appreciate uh, that, how important time is. So I use money to buy time. So, uh, Again, uh, when I was my twenties, I didn't do this. I mean, My thirties, I didn't, didn't didn't do this. But when you were scheduling this call, you were communicating with my sister, Barbara, and so she she manages my calendar. That saves me about one or two hours a week. Okay, okay, if, okay. If this is, sounds like a kind of wealthy hedge fund manager kind of guy, but I'm not a hedge fund manager. But okay, <laughs> but it's a kind of this, this is, but but you know we all make choices. Are we gonna? Are we gonna? mow the lawn or we're we going to have somebody else do that well, i have somebody else do that um, so because that's the time I could be doing something else Some, spending time with my kids something I like if I like doing mowing the lawn I would be doing it I don't um, no, so that's the second. Brother, we're second gonna have video. to
0: have you up to Fort Collins because ever since we moved here, we've got 35 acres. I love mowing the lawn. I never thought I'd say that. So next time you're heading north, swing by and you'll be like, oh my gosh, you're that is so fun.
1: A, you're probably <laughs> probably driving a little tractor. Or I, something yeah, like that, it right? is.
0: It's a little. Well, no, that's that's different, <laughs> and I might, I, might, I might
1: have enjoyed it. Yeah, I might have enjoyed it too. Um, the third one is the uh, health. We are basically, mm. we have unlimited budget on health. Yes. So it's a, whenever we go to grocery store, we buy the, you know, the best right. meat or the best, you know. Yeah. Okay, and and, and uh, there was a fourth category and I'm going blank, oh, education. The fourth category is education. Again, my kids, they can, you know, as long as they keep reading those books, they can spend as much money as they want on books. Mm. And, you know, on, on tutors, et cetera, same thing. Now, I say this, so they, in these categories, we have loose budgets. But at the same time, we live in the same house we lived for the last 20 years. Until recently, and you know, we drove the same cars for 12, 13 years. Right. So it's a-
0: you Made those choices.
1: Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's that. my advice would be for kind of somebody in my age group. And then- I'm not even sure. Like, I'll be honest. I'm not even sure what advice would give somebody in their sixties or seventies. Yeah. Maybe just someone in that
0: newly retired or about to retire range. Some, some different piece that might be more meaningful for that group that they don't typically hear.
1: Yeah. You know what? I think I would argue that maybe you don't need to dive with a million dollars. Just, you know, enjoy your money. Like you gotta enjoy your money. And, um, by experiences, you know, that would be my advice. Like this is kind of my advice to my older self, which is kind of, to be honest, my life probably would not have been changed much 20 years from now. I mean, uh, unless I have some health issues, but I I assume I'll be doing the same thing and I'll be doing, you know, so it probably would not change much, but I would probably would say just spend more money on experiences and don't feel like you need to. And one thing, and this is, I struggle with this one. We usually think that, we wanna leave our money for to our kids, you know. And so, like you know, like let's say you're in your seventies or eighties, your kids are in the thirty, in your thirties or in the thirties and forties. So they're gonna inherit your like whatever. Like in your thirties, forties, and fifties, your kids will inherit the money. Um, one thing I realized that your kids when they're twenties, they're gonna struggle, and um. Um, and then they'll be struggling when they buy, you know, when they buy a house, they're going to be struggling. So maybe instead of, maybe instead of living the money when they don't, when they won't need it, because well, they'll be in the prime, you know, already earning a lot of money in their prime in their forties and fifties. Maybe it makes sense to help them in a smart way, not, you know, with the down payment for the house. Uh, so this is just what I've been kind of thinking about, you know. Um, maybe help them with, you know, like, you know, I, money is a tricky thing because you want to make sure that by trying to help somebody with money, you actually don't hurt them exactly. because, that's a tough so line. this is, this, so this is, this is very tricky. So the way I deal with this, you know, I talk to my kids about this all the time and I, and the, by the way, this is the, the, this is the way I manage the company. I explain people how I think about my decisions so they understand where I'm coming from. And therefore, if people know how I think, if my kids know how I think about decisions, then they look at them very differently. Um, in fact, I think it's very empowering. Um, I'll give you like, I'm going to switch to parenting for a second. Um, I found my my 16-year-old daughter, Hannah, who is a, this absolutely perfect child she like she went from reading 80 books a year to now she discovered friends. And now she has a lot more <laughs> friends. So this goes from like reading 80 books a year to having friends. And it's a huge, difficult adjustment. So like a few months ago, my wife wakes up at one in the morning and she sees that Hannah is not in her bed. And she goes looking for her and she sees that she's outside, like in our backyard, talking to one of her friends or texting at 1.30, you know, to my girlfriend at 1.30 in the morning. And like, this is this was a, you know, Hannah has this adjustment where she went from having no friends, having a lot of friends, and dealing with it is difficult. Um... So we realized that she has a hard time and like I can see she's texting with her friends at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. So what we did, um, we put a parental controls on her iPhone where at nine o'clock at night, her phone becomes basically a phone, mm. meaning that she can call it's, it's There's a feature on iPhone called screen time and you can, this is where parental controls leave at nine o'clock she can text or call anybody like in her family like here, uh, myself my my wife, her brother she can't text or call her friends okay and when when this feature was imparted on her her phone, this is the conversation I had with her and this is very important. I told her, listen, you are 16 years old. Your sister is six. I mean, is eight, is eight. So you're 20, imagine that fast forward eight years. You're 24, your sister is 16. Mom and I are gone, whatever. We're not here. What would you do mm. if you are, not, you're, like you are, now you are parenting your sister. When you're, when she completely, you know, when at one o'clock in the morning, she texts him with her kids, she doesn't sleep. And now, you you know, your sister doesn't get enough sleep. She's constantly on her phone with her friends. You would be doing the same thing. And I got to tell you, Brad, like we have not had a conversation about it since.
0: That's super interesting. So she accepted that. Like she really thought about it.
1: Because now we kind of empowered her, you know, that now she almost was making the decision herself.
0: Huh.
1: Because she realized if she was in our, you know, when at some point, hopefully that's not gonna happen, but if she's in our shoes, uh making you know same decisions for her sister that you know who loves dearly, she would be doing the same thing. So she realizes that I'm coming to this f- uh from com- complete love and care. There's, it's not because I'm trying to control her because I really want to help her.
0: It's, that's powerful. Very powerful. Let me wrap up with one question. Take your time to answer this because it's not an easy one. You get to create a bumper sticker. So there's not, not a lot of space here about how people can more effectively put soul in the game, bring soul to the game. What What would that bumper sticker say or what would the picture be or what combination of that might exist that I can put on the back of my car that gets this message out of that soul in the game.
1: Two words. I care. Mm. So when Mm. when you, like when you go, when Mm. you love that, my kids go to this small private uh, school and they have this uh, security guard who, and you know, you know who truly has soul in a game like you know he makes sure that no strangers come to the school, he makes sure that every you know that, and he, he and he goes through this incredible length to make sure to protect my kids. and I know so when I see him, I know he cares. When you go to this when you when you deal with somebody, like you know this, right? When you see somebody has sold in the game, you know this, right? Because you can feel this person cares. They cares about you know, the person cares about you. Okay, so this this would be kind of that would would describe for me when somebody has sold in the game because you know that they care.
0: That was awesome way to wrap it up. Thanks for joining us. This is powerful stuff. Congrats on your book. Doing great, but Thank
1: you, so, but Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the number one podcast for health and wellness coaching. When I saw the names of the people who provided testimonials for his book, including Nassim Nicholas Tlaib, Carl Bernstein, and even one of our all time top guests, Morgan Housel, we knew we had to get him on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. If this discussion stirred something inside of you regarding pursuing a career as a health and wellness coach, we'd love to discuss at your convenience. Or if you're an employer and you'd like to help your team members stop just checking boxes, And actually fill their box, please reach out to us. Results at institute.com anytime. Again, that's results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. By the way, if you've made it to mid-January without dialing in that personal vision for 2023, you might want to go back a couple of episodes to the special episode we did on how to create a personal vision. It's a shorter one, but it's one you'll likely want to come back to a time or two as you dial in your vision for living the full life we've talked about today. Now, it's time to be that Catalyst. This is Dr. Brad Cooper of the Catalyst Coaching Institute. Make it a great rest of your week and I'll speak with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst 360 podcast or maybe over on the YouTube coaching channel.